1: Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Joellen Meckley, the Executive Director of the Center for Special Needs at the American College of Financial Services. There's the mouthful, and I can't wait to hear all of this stuff that we're going to be sharing with you today. Joellen, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Laura. I am
2: very happy to be here and excited for the conversation we're going to have today.
1: Now, let's go over that title one more time because there's a (laughs) whole bunch of pieces in there, and I would love for you in your elevator pitch to Help us see the integration and help us understand exactly what it is that the organization does and your role there. You are the executive director of that part we get. Mm-hmm. The Center for Special Needs mm-hmm. at the American College. Of financial services. Uh So how does that work?
2: Sure. I'm going to start with the last part first. So uh, the American College of Financial Services, many, if you're not within the financial services field, you might not be aware of the college. It is actually an accredited college. It's been around for 95 years. It was started up by a Wharton grad, you know, many, many years ago who was hoping to elevate the knowledge of professionals within the insurance industry. And it's expanded greatly from there and over the last 10 years or so the college has started up several centers of excellence which are organizations within the college which are designed to focus on very specific issues trying to improve situations where there are underserved populations within the financial services industry so i think that can kind of lead right into my you know elevator pitch which really you know focuses on what does the center for special needs do the center that i'm currently the executive director of so to understand what we do at the Center for Special Needs, what if I imagine I find myself in a situation where I have suddenly become disabled or a family member has become disabled? Maybe I've received a progressive diagnosis like MS, Parkinson's disease, et cetera, and I'm now facing a future where I might be unable to work, unable to meet my own needs, or you know, imagine one of my children has been born or one of your children has been born with or received a diagnosis which is going to result in lifelong disability, intellectual disability or physical disability. And the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, that most financial advisors and other professionals who work with these families often don't know how best to plan for that specific scenario. And as a result of that, the disabled and special needs population is truly underserved when it comes to receiving sound financial and legal planning advice. So, The mission for the Center for Special Needs at the American College is to elevate the knowledge of financial services professionals, specifically in how to best advise and serve individuals and their families who are facing the impact of disability in their lives, and as well as to provide financial knowledge and resources directly to those who are affected themselves. So at the end of the day, our goal is to help folks optimize their financial security no matter what life circumstances they
1: face. And heaven knows that life has a a way of throwing lots of curveballs. So you can plan for one thing to the absolute most conscientious, diligent best, and then surprise, tomorrow something else happens. And so it's good to know that there are professionals out there who are able to address whatever that really specific Mm -hmm. and unfortunately really unpleasant yeah. Surprise happens to be. Absolutely. Then, within that, it seems like a strange question to ask in thinking about planning for such calamities in life, but what's your favorite part of your job and why? <laughs>
2: Well, this goes for me throughout my career. This is actually a relatively new job for me. I recently changed careers. I was an attorney practicing for many years before I became the executive director at the center. And prior to that, I was a nursing home and assisted living administrator. So I've worn a lot of different hats, but there's one kind of common thread that goes through all of that for me. And that is that, you know, in every job I've had, the favorite part of my job is learning about the people that I'm serving, hearing their story, making that personal connection, I think people are fascinating and it's important to understand what people are really going through. So for me in my life and in my work, there's just really no point unless I'm connecting with that person on the other end of the line or the other side of the desk or the other side of the computer, which is where we find ourselves so much now.
1: It most certainly is Mm -hmm. more often than not. This is the only way that we get to connect with people. And, And that's certainly something that everyone knows I have talked about more often than not. And in in this world now of the special need, working with people with special needs of whatever variety and helping them prepare for their futures, what's one of the big issues of the day and how do you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it?
2: What's interesting is, and, and this is something that is a really current topic that you know we're talking about at the college. We've been focused very much again. And this was the original mission and purpose of the college and the center is, you know, to provide applied knowledge and education to professionals who are doing that. However, more and more, we're living in a Google search kind of world. People are looking to educate themselves. Many times before they even go to find a professional or realize that they need a professional, they're seeking out knowledge themselves because there is a plethora of resources out there that they can tap into. So the college and the way we're trying to adapt to that is we're beginning to look at expanding the reach of our education and providing more direct-to-consumer knowledge and education, You know, recognizing that a well-educated client, a well-informed consumer is going to make for a better client for me. They're going to come in already knowing a little bit about the subject matter, and it's going to make my job all the more easy in uh, getting them to where they need to be.
1: So when you're talking about providing more direct-to-consumer education, is that kind of free seminars to educate the world? Anybody like put stuff on YouTube or on your homepage or other places so anyone who's Googling might find these, I'll call them video nuggets mm-hmm. uh, about whatever related topic to financial planning for special needs, Mm -hmm. et cetera, and then hopefully they'll follow the rabbit hole and then connect with a financial advisor who has been trained by the college, has their degree from the college. Is that what the intention is? Sure. You know, you should come work for our marketing team.
2: (laughs) 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 I think you hit the nail on the head. No, you know, it's going to be, I think, a combination of things. I am a big proponent of just getting the knowledge out there. And I think we're going to be doing a lot of that, having resources available. However, at the same time, you know, we're a business uh, and we're in the business of education. So I think it will be always giving folks who end up, you know, say, coming to our website or looking up the college, giving them a certain amount of information, education, but helping them to realize that if they really want to dig in deeper, guess what? We're going to also have a much more in-depth course of study or hour long seminar or whatever it is that they can do where they're really getting you know knowledge and expertise from experts out there in the field that we're bringing in to do that and again Maybe it's going to make them then seek out one of our advisors who has come to the college and become a chartered special needs consultant because now they recognize and realize that that type of professional is going to best serve them because they have the knowledge they need.
1: Yes. And then when so in dealing with this new Google search world, as you as you Mm -hmm. phrase it, I love that phrase because it's expresses exactly Mm -hmm. what the reality is of how most people think work and are, are driven who are the different stakeholder groups that you have to communicate to about it? And, and how are you adjusting your messaging? Right. Well, one key
2: stakeholder group, um, which is fresh in my mind because I just had a conversation with this group earlier this week, you know, we are a college that has been around for 95 years. We're a business and organization that's been around a long time. And there are a lot of folks who have made considerable contributions to involved being in board of trustees, advisory councils, et cetera, who are now watching the college change and grow and maybe shift, you know, some of our strategies. So I think it's getting buy-in from, you know, those individuals who are accustomed to a certain way of doing business.
1: So am I hearing correctly that, you know, and this is my interpretation. So tell me if I'm reading into it accurately, that in part, an audience that's interesting in how it is evolving is your donor population, whether it's alumni or otherwise, or your sponsors Uh or other investors. And to the extent that they've perhaps been with you for a long time mm-hmm. and are, I'm going to use the the colloquial expression, old school, when thinking about school mm-hmm. and what school should look like and what should be for credit and who should be students and looking at how we're shifting into this digital world and make it direct mm-hmm. to consumer and make it all this up there may be questions for some of them about, well, why are you doing all this? That's not what school's supposed to be about. You're right. a university or you're a college and you're, so is part of it trying to explain to these people why, yes, you're shifting, you're doing Mm -hmm. it for the right reasons and they should continue to fund you Mm -hmm. and, and support you in whether financially or through other means. Am I interpreting that accurately?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's recognizing that if we want the college to be around for another hundred years, we need to change with society. We need to grow and change and meet the needs of the consumer of the product that we're selling, which happens to be education. I mean, we're also a nonprofit. And I think the current leadership at the college is one of the reasons why I, you know, wanted to join them was also recognizing that the financial services world can have a direct impact on the betterment of society. So another thing that's kind of happening new at the college is a renewed focus on the centers of excellence, which have been around for several years. But I think we're always kind of viewed secondary to purely, you know, the giving out of degrees and letters that people can put after their names. Sure. And again, recognizing that if we are demonstrating the thought leadership on behalf of the college, the different centers of excellence, which are focused on, you know, promoting more women in the financial services industry, you know, economic. economic betterment and wealth development for minority populations, Center for Special Needs, all of these things, um, those are very kind of progressive ideas that you wouldn't normally associate with the financial services industry, taking the lead on that. But again, we're recognizing that it's a changing society. And if we want to keep the college in business, we need to attract interest.
1: Absolutely. And finding how, how to meet people where they are rather than where you want them to be. And apparently, They're on Google. So that which is exactly what we're finding too. YouTube, Google, (laughs) amazing, amazing searches. Now, in connecting with all these different audiences, who's the toughest audience that you ever had to get through to and why? Sure.
2: So again, a timely question for me this week. I should start out by saying that because of the different hats that I've worn, kind of the shifts and changes that I've had in my own career. Often, I found myself at different stages in my career having different audiences. So when I was a nursing home administrator, I was talking directly to residents, patients with cognitive impairments, frontline workers, you know, certified nursing assistants, et cetera, who are taking care of people. Then moving on to when I began practicing law, now I'm taking really complicated concepts and trying to help regular families understand that and make really difficult decisions, walk them through really difficult situations. You know, that required a certain relatability on my part, a certain informality to the way I communicated, again, being in a position of authority or of having expertise, but needing to, you know, connect one-on-one on on a almost folksy level, you know, with the people that I'm talking to. I'm in a new role, a new phase of my career where now, instead of working at the micro level, I'm trying to work at the macro level and make an impact on these industries on a large scale still helping those same individuals. I'm just doing it now from 30,000 feet instead of at the ground level. So this week, I found myself in an opportunity where I was talking to a bunch of those key stakeholders that we just talked about with the college. And it was my opportunity to kind of lay out for them my vision for where I plan to take the Center for Special Needs over the next several years and You know, I found myself, admittedly, for the first time in my life, I was literally on the top floor penthouse conference room of a Fortune 500 company, sitting in a room full of C-suite level executives, executive vice presidents representing these huge companies. And I was the expert and I was having to explain to them, what am I going to do and get their buy-in, you know, hopefully attract some financial support to achieve our mission And really just get on board. So for me, this required just as one specific speaking event, it required me to believe in myself and recognize that I deserve to have that seat at the table. So that little kind of imposter syndrome voice in the back of my head, which I think a lot of us struggle with, was not, you know, sapping my confidence. So, yeah, so i'm I'm definitely a transition phase in terms of my professional communication, and I'm needing to tap into some new skills myself
1: and it's interesting. i'm I'm glad you that you referenced the imposter syndrome in the way that you did because, you know, it's interesting that the question, as phrased, was the toughest audience to get through to. Mm -hmm. And as you described who was sitting in the audience, I didn't actually hear any evidence about them being actively difficult. It was all (laughs) preliminary concern that they would be. And it was, you know, that's all the ascribed assumptions of personalities and beliefs and things. Well, but these guys run these banks and these people are so, and I'm using the word guys half generically, mm-hmm. but also not so generically, because there probably were a lot more men who just by nature of yes. the, population, the demographic of that particular role in industry and all sorts of stuff where in your head, you're going, I run this small nonprofit, but little center within Mm -hmm. whatever else. And there's all this stuff. And so to acknowledge that the imposter syndrome was playing a role, but that you had your own little pep talk, Uh you know, we put on the big girl shoes and said, (laughs) I'm going to go in there and I'm going to just be the expert that they've called me here to be because they wanted to hear from an expert in this area. And what you did not finish in the story was, did you kill it? I think so. I think I did kill it. I got Really positive feedback afterwards.
2: I think there are some folks who are interested, or are going to commit to writing those checks uh, and helping us do our mission. And and I think I made my bosses proud. It was just one of those banner. It was it was a good day for me. So, but again, I agree. I I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy when it comes to this. Yes. Uh, but once you power through that, take that deep breath. What I've come to learn is, I now understand. I think that all of those people sitting around the room they're also looking around at the other people and sometimes thinking, gosh, what am I doing here? You know, it's growing up, you know, it's realizing that that's the reality. So if you can push past it, you know, sky's the limit.
1: Absolutely. And I'm curious in that particular situation, were you invited or did you sort of have to pitch or request the opportunity to speak to that group?
2: No, I was uh, very much invited because the college is uh, putting a renewed focus on developing the center. So, you know, I've been brought in to do good things, great things. So they were hoping to show my stuff.
1: (laughs) And so that's another lesson I think for people to take away is to recognize because so many people feel like, okay, they've been given this opportunity and I use the word given, you know, loosely don't interpret that to one way or another, Mm -hmm. but you have this opportunity. You've been invited specifically to speak. And that by default means that people are interested in what they believe you know that they don't. And they want you to share that. They are viewing you as expert in an area in which they are not. And they want to learn from you. And this is a challenge. We forget this. And I think it's so important for us to remind ourselves that when we are in front of these, for whatever reason, intimidating audiences, and we we hear that little ugly imposter syndrome, inner critic, call it what you will, voice in the back of our head that's saying, You know, you don't belong here. You're not smart enough. They're so much bigger than you. You know, whatever your excuse is to remind yourself, no, they invited me here because they recognize that I am an expert in something that they are not. My job is to serve by sharing that expertise. And I think when you lead with that, when you put that in the front of your own mind and use that as your driving motivator and force. It's amazing the power, the authenticity, the authority, the integrity, the confidence and the competence that we can convey so compellingly to any audience when that comes through. I mean, I'm on my soapbox, I realize, no. but. <laughs> no, I, I hear that it. it's you're preaching to the choir. I agree 100%. So I think that's a fabulous example. Thank you for sharing that, Thank for th- you. sharing your, what you did, what you were thinking, what you were feeling, and that little internal monologue, that that mm. head trash that we sometimes get through. And congratulations for killing because that's what it comes down to in the end. (laughs) Now, with all this, what about leading teams? Because you have had a number of different roles from practicing attorney to executive director to this and that. What's an important lesson that you learned when you first went from being an individual contributor to leading a team?
2: Absolutely. So I for whatever reason, ended up in a leadership role, kind of very early on in my career. It was just kind of a stroke of luck in the nature of the company that I was working for, and I found myself at the ripe old age of twenty-five running a nursing home, mm. which I now think look back and think, what again, imposter? What the heck were they thinking? You know, putting me in, in, in charge. I don't know that I'd do that, but I found myself again as a relatively young person, you know, managing department heads and employees that had ten. 20, 30 years experience on me and I had to guide them, lead them. I had to get them to adopt new policies, change what they were doing. So I think that what I learned very early on when you're working with a team and leading with a team to get that buy-in, again, it comes back to that theme I have of kind of making that personal connection. You need to put yourself in their shoes, anticipate what they're thinking or feeling about what you're saying and just address it. Write it head on. If you're talking about something that you know they're sitting there thinking, how the heck am I going to have enough time to now start doing this new thing that Joellen wants me to do? I'll look at, you know, Beth and say, Beth, listen, I know you feel overwhelmed right now. And you're probably thinking to yourself, how am I going to get this done? and you see the kind of shoulders relax and the head's nod and everything because and they realize that you empathize with them that you recognize the difficulties this is going to you know have on them and you get that buy in and they open theirs and they listen to you because i think a lot of communication is just getting the other person to focus and absorb what you're saying because we get consumed with ourselves. We only think about ourselves and we lose the big picture. And so that's true whenever you're leading a team.
1: Empathy is so important. It's not going down the rabbit hole. It's not pity. It's not sympathy. It's not coddling, but just that acknowledgement of someone else's reality, what they're thinking, what they're feeling. Reality is completely relative, right? So your perception of reality and mine doesn't matter if they're the same or not. But for me to acknowledge what I recognize that yours is for you in the moment, how you're thinking and feeling about it can open so many doors. Really amazing skill to have to develop.
2: Yeah, believe it or not, my best moment in this, you know, massive board presentation that I had to make this week with all these big, scary, you know, executives was at a moment in there when I related to all of them. I guarantee that each one of you either has a diagnosis that people don't know about or a family member is living with a disability or a extended family member, a neighbor, a loved one, a coworker, we all know someone who is dealing with this issue. It doesn't matter how much money you have. We're all struggling with it. And I saw during the talk, that was the most visible reaction and response that I got from everyone because everyone was nodding their head and looking around at the others. And I saw that immediate connection that again, then made them focus in on what I was saying because they they were a part of it.
1: Yes. You made it real for them. You touched on something that's that's a genuine part of their lives. And so when you can find that opportunity, that nugget, that point that suddenly makes the audience think, oh, she really is talking to me. This Mm -hmm. is relevant to me. That's the laser point right home, right to the heart. Now we're going to shift gears for a minute here. And I would like you to not just challenge that audience to think about something personal for them, but I'd like you to challenge our audience here. We've (laughs) come to the part where it is our listener 24 hour influence challenge. So it's your turn to talk directly to the audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Okay. Put a lot of thought into this. So I think that
2: one of the keys to having influence is to find the passion in what you do. You know, what is the core that's driving you in your work? Maybe it's to make an impact on society. Maybe it's to help others. Maybe it's to achieve professional expertise and personal recognition in your given field, whatever that is. And just like companies devote time and resources to, you know, really thinking through and developing their mission, their vision, their core value statement, I think it's a great exercise as a person to do the same thing. So what I'm challenging everyone to do today is to take a few minutes, take an hour, sit down and really contemplate it and see if you can identify for yourself what your personal mission and vision are in your life. What are the core values in their life? What is the big picture for you? What's the point of your life? And write it down, stick it up on a wall, write about it in your journal. Putting it out there into the universe and out there in the world, you really just don't know where it might lead you.
1: It is a really inspiring, a thought-provoking, and intriguing activity, and I've done variations of it over the years, and I will offer it to everybody else. It can sound very big, but it doesn't have to be a final published document. Right. But just start. Sit down. Give yourself an hour with a cup of coffee or a glass of wine one evening or sitting on your back porch or with the radio on or in silence or when you're walking, whatever it is, just start the process. If you want to do it orally, hit your on your phone, click your voice memo app as you're going for your walk and just blather, just think aloud, just brainstorm whatever your topic is and whatever ideas come to mind. You can always transcribe them later. And it's amazing to see what happens when there's just some stuff on the paper. Go back later on. Allow yourself to change. I don't like that word. Oh, I prefer to do this. Or Oh, I forgot to add that. Okay, you can keep editing it for the rest of your life, but start it. That's the 24-hour challenge. Did I get that right, Joellen? Oh, uh, that was perfect. Excellent. All right, then moving on. Let's talk. We've talked about some successes. Let's talk about some not-so-successes, as it were, <laughs> to coin a phrase. Not-so-successes. What's a communications-related mistake that you've made? And if you could have a do-over, what would it sound like?
2: You know, thinking about this, I actually have a very personal story about one of the most impactful moments in my life where I got some mentorship, specifically about communication. And I have never forgotten it. And I should, I wish I could go back and thank this person for doing it, even though it was difficult to hear at the time. So very early in my career, this was before that first, you know, administrator's job. I think I was 23 years old. I was, you know, brimming with idealism and confidence. And I had reached the end of this long, uh, year long internship in an organization. And one of the directors who was very old at the time and very intimidating said,
1: now if you were 23, and she was or he was very old, does that mean she was like 40. No, no, no.
2: I mean, he was (laughs) probably 70 at that time, which now doesn't actually seem that old to me. Yes. But back then, you know, he was like a grandpa, but he was a tough guy. He was a tough, he was a tough character. And I was very intimidated by him, but he sat me down in his office. It was literally my last day that I was there. And I thought, oh, he's going to give me this pep talk and build me up and everything. And instead he said, Joellen, I want to give you some real advice. He said, when people are telling you about their lives, you know, telling you some story about some hardship or something they're dealing with you immediately have the tendency to relate something about yourself or begin telling some similar story about yourself. And it comes across badly. It comes across like, you know, it all
1: Mm. instead
2: of just listening to them. And I was, Devastated, and mm-hmm. he was telling. I see, you know, he was telling me this. I think because, hopefully, he saw potential in me, and he saw that I was making this critical misstep when I was communicating with people. But I was mortified and horrified because the last thing in the world I ever want to do is make someone feel like I know more than them, or or that I'm not hearing them out and listening to them. Uh, when I related my own experience to someone else, and I think a lot of people do this. I simply thought I was commiserating, I was empathizing. I assumed it would make them feel understood that I felt their pain were the same. But that's not, I think, what people a lot of times want to hear, especially when they're talking about a hardship that they're having. People, I think, want to share stories about their life and they want to know that they've been heard. They don't want to immediately turn around and hear about your life. It actually has the opposite effect of helping them feel understood. So so while that was an incredibly difficult critique for me to hear at the time, if there was ever constructive criticism, I'm telling you, you know, man, that was it. It had a profound effect on my communication style. I never thought about it. And even now, I'm very careful. If someone is telling me something and I feel like I really could offer them some personal experience of mine, I will fall all over myself before I even tell them something saying, hey, listen, I honestly can't imagine what you're dealing with. You know, I'm not trying to put the focus on me, but, you know, I just want you to know you're not alone. This happened to me, et cetera, et cetera. And then after I tell them, I will consciously immediately ask a question about them to get back to their telling me of their story and bring the focus back on them. And I think it served me well. I think it served me well. And it was, again, it was, it was, I think I cried. to it. I was so, I was devastated. It's, no one had ever told me anything like that before, but look at that, you know, massive change.
1: And I think part of the reason that that's so hard to receive as feedback is because your intentions were good. I mean, how many of us have been to some sort of sales training, It's uh, kind of tried and true, and although now evolving, sales technique has always been, well, you know, find something, find your common ground, right? Find something that the client or the prospect, you know, you see a picture of their family on on the desk ask questions about the family share information about your family find a common bond mm-hmm. or it, it does not have to be just in sales but as a way to to network or to develop relationships it's about finding commonalities. so oh, i'm like you so we in, immediately want to jump to oh i found that commonality look at that we we feel connected but when we do that by just talking about our experience right away, it can have that feeling of just making it about us instead. I think there are more effective ways to show active listening by asking some more questions and digging deeper into that person's experience. And then if there's an opportunity sharing that, you can understand at least partially what they've gone through because you've had an experience that is in some way, shape or form related. So, but I can imagine how, especially at 23, when you're young and and super enthusiastic and trying to do the right thing, when the intention is missed and you're trying to do something right and all you heard is you botched this royally, Uh that that would be crushing for a lot of people.
2: Yes, it was. It was, it was tremendous insecurity, but I'll tell you, I stopped making that mistake. You know, so there is something to be said for constructive criticism.
1: Yes. And it's great to be able to give people that constructive criticism when in doubt, acknowledge intention mm-hmm. as well, which makes it much easier for them to receive the critique or the the constructive feedback. So mm-hmm. great. Two sides to that coin. Now, what about accountability and crucial conversations? Because accountability is a challenge that most people, whether or not they struggle with it themselves, they struggle with having the conversation with somebody else, about it. So what's an approach that you've used to address an accountability issue with somebody on a team?
2: Sure. So I've absolutely in as some of my leadership roles have had situations where I've had to sit down with an employee, sometimes a coworker, but more often an employee and counsel them, you know, address maybe God forbid, some inappropriate behavior in the workplace unprofessionalism. Or just in other cases, a major mistake that they've made that I need them to learn from and not ever make again. And again, this speaks to when you are communicating one-on-one with someone, always thinking about how are they going to respond to this. Try to get in their head what are they thinking, and positioning the conversation so that they are going to be receptive. Because again, like with you know that old he was a doctor, an old doctor who you know laid the criticism on me. I think I probably went black in my mind, you know, at some point during that conversation, because my stomach was churning and I was so nervous and upset by what he was saying, I probably missed half of what he said to me. So in times when I have had to hold someone accountable for something to make sure that they're going to hear me out to the end, a lot of times after that kind of initial blow, when I'm letting them know what it is that has been a problem, I will say, listen, I know you probably feel horrible right now you know, but don't worry. You know, we value you. We're going to figure out a way to get past this or don't beat yourself up too much. Mistakes always happen, but Hey, listen, you know, it's not going to happen again. Or doing something to kind of disarm them and acknowledge that they probably feel terrible right now because who doesn't feel terrible when your boss is bringing you in to call you out for something you've done. So again, a lot, I think there's a common thread in my communication style has always been just really empathizing like we said before, with the other person and putting them in their shoes. And that's true, whether you're talking to families, to clients, to boards of directors, the technique works in almost every setting.
1: Absolutely. I could not agree more. Empathy, we come right back full circle to that whole topic again, acknowledging somebody's current experience, Uh what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what their intentions were. But nevertheless, having to then say, here's what's working and here's what's not so let's focus a little bit more on the latter and fixing that closing that gap joellen this has been such a great conversation thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today how can people learn more about you and the college and in particular the center
2: sure so the college has a great website google search american college of financial services Um, i believe it's www.theamericancollege.edu has a ton of information about the educational offerings that the college has, but also And I can tell you go right to the top right corner of the website. There is a link to all of the centers of excellence that the college is currently operating center of special needs is on there. Talks about what we're doing specifically, but I also encourage people to check out what the other centers are doing because there is some incredibly inspiring and innovative work being done by the college right now, addressing all sorts of issues that regular people are facing in our world today. So I encourage you to check it out. And especially if you are within the financial services industry, Go there just to see what the educational options are. It's a truly applied knowledge that should help someone, you know, do a better job with their clients. So yeah, so thank you so much for the opportunity. I really love this conversation.
1: Well, oh, this was terrific. You've provided incredible value to our guests today, or excuse me, to our listeners today. And I want to thank them as well. Thank you all for tuning in. As always, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever your favorite podcast platform happens to be so we can help even more people to increase their confidence presence and influence. And of course, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for podcast microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite.